EFTM. Tech, cars, lifestyle. This is the EFTM podcast with Trevor Long. EFTM. Oh, welcome. Great to have your company. Lovely to be with you for another week here on the EFTM podcast, talking tech, cars, and lifestyle. Primarily tech, yeah, I know. That's good. I don't mind. Um, and taking your calls. We've got a couple of calls to get to today. Plus, for those of you that have rightly said to me, meh, a lot of calls, a um, couple of great interviews today. We're going to talk virtual reality um, with a different kind of slant. Not just gaming, uh, not just about, you know, where on earth we um, we can do meetings, but some really interesting applications for VR and, uh, and a conversation about the growth of VR. So that that Shortly, plus I'm going to talk to the Federal Minister for Communications here in Australia, Paul Fletcher, who joins me to talk about the NBN, the Google and Facebook drama, uh, and all things in between. So um, not missing a beat when it comes to what we've got on the show. Um, bunch of calls, um, fascinating, uh, challenging questions coming, I'm sure. Um, and I also want to talk about um, data uh, storage. Uh, the reason why will become self-evident once I tell you, um, but that's uh, that's that's to come. I made a purchase today. That's what I'm saying. I bought something, something I probably didn't need, but that doesn't matter. That's why we buy things sometimes. Sometimes you got to treat yourself. Um, if you have a tech question, if you have a question about um, a vehicle you're, you're driving, buying, or, or love, uh, if you have a question about whatever the heck it is. I'm happy to chat. Um, you just go to the website eftm.com. You click Ask Trev, um, and while you're there, if you're using the Apple um, uh, ecosystem, if you're using the Apple Podcast app, uh, do feel free to go and uh, leave a rating uh, and a review of the show. Uh, appreciate that. We've got hundreds, but uh, it's always good to have more. Uh, if you haven't left one, um, please do. Um, there are a couple of new ones there. Um, thank you, CW5105. Do says detailed tech reporting. Great interview on the latest podcast with the MBN CEO. Much more informative than the reports in traditional media. Well, well, thank you. Um, and hopefully uh, you'll get a little bit of tidbit from our uh, Federal Communications Minister, uh, Paul Fletcher. All that to come here on the EFTM podcast. This is the EFTM podcast. Taking your calls, talking technology, Trevor along with you. And if you have a question about technology, you can get in touch. Go to the website, EFTM.com. That's what Ray did. G'day, Ray. Good day, mate. Um, yeah, okay. I'll lay the platform oh, for you. Just breathe, mate. Uh, we put the TV on the wall. Yep. And we had the cable run up the internal wall. HDMI. We're talking about HDMI cables, yeah. Right. That's right. HDMI cable. I went out and bought the two hundred dollar one. You know, ten year ago. I then upgraded the PS3 to the PS4. The PS4 cable supplied is the only one that works with the TV. The old cable, HDMI cable doesn't work. So, what, and so, so what is it doesn't work? Just black screen? Nothing comes through at all? Uh, yes, yes, black screen. And you've obviously confirmed that it still works with other devices. So that 10-metre cable that's been there yes. for some time, plugged into yes. pretty much anything else, is performing fine, yeah? Yes. 10 metres yes. is a long way, mate. Wow. Yeah, well, it has to go up. It has to go up the wall, across the ceiling, and down down the wall so that's across the ceiling yeah it goes in, in the walls yeah uh, up in the ceiling and down the wall comes the idea was to have just the, the tv sitting on the wall without any cables hanging out yeah but where is the where's so, the playstation on the other side of the room no it's at the moment it's sitting in the um uh, the cabinet thing here yeah but is the cabinet not just underneath the tv or is the cabinet no no 
the only thing underneath the TV is the centre speaker. Ah, so you've you've put all the other boxes slightly away yeah. from the TV, so the entertainment unit isn't really full of all that stuff. That's right. Yeah, that's there why is no you've gone up unit the under the TV. Right. That's I, I, yeah. I guess my surprise is is because I would say ninety percent of installations are TV on the wall, cables through the wall, so there's no cables dangling down or yeah. anything. But they come right. out at, they come out like a foot from the floor underneath the TV and into your entertainment unit or whatever. Um, no. <laughs> so I see your problem. You, you, your problem isn't just that you've got a HDMI cable that doesn't work with your PS4, but rewiring it is a bit of fun, a bit of a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, because I'm, I'm prepared to get another cable. Yeah. Um, I can just feed it through the same place the old one went through. Yeah. I just don't want to be wasting the money on a cable that's not going to work. So the I would – I mean, it's hard to know exactly – why and what, and unless there's any markings on the cable that you can be sure. But there are multiple HDMI versions. Um, yeah, we're up that's to, what I was told. And some of them, some some people say that they're, that they're not. There's no difference really. So there isn't a lot of difference, but there is some mm. difference. So for example, 4K um, won't transmit on a, a version one or even version 1.1 probably. Um, because it's just a larger amount of data. So it's all about the amount of data. I know it sounds crazy because you think of it as a picture, but it's really just data. Um, yes. It's, it's, it's amount of data being sent over the cable is too much. So, for yep. example, uh, if you set your – I reckon if you set your PlayStation 4 to HD yep. resolution output, right. it will yes. work. Worth okay. worth testing. Use your use your cable dangling down. Plug the PS4 in so it's working, and go into the output settings. And I'm pretty sure you can change it. So it's like, it's just H, it's just uh, 1080. And if you set the, yeah. the PlayStation 4 to 1080, I, I wouldn't mind betting that 10 meter cable still works. But oh, that kind nice. of defeats. But do you have a 4K TV? Um, oh, the TV showing showing her age now. How? Yeah. Um, well, so yeah, she's, yeah, I think it's a 4K TV. It's not. That old, that old. But right, okay. So, because that's yeah. the thing, right? If you if you send a 4K signal to a, a HD TV, it either won't work or it'll downscale. But most likely, it won't work. If you right. if you try and send a, a 4K signal out a HDMI cable that can't cope with it, it won't get to the TV even if yeah. it's 4K yeah, at yeah, the yeah, other no, end. That makes sense. Yeah. So yeah. so my my challenge would be to to trial and error test this. Um, yep. Uh, check. The output setting of the PlayStation on a you know two meter cable dangling down um, to see exactly. Oh yeah, mate. I mean, let's not go through it right here and now, but yeah, bugger oh, around okay. with it a bit to test yeah. what output settings you've got now and see what you can manipulate yep. it to to see yep. what where the where the link in the chain is. But it's most likely that ten meter right. cable isn't capable of four K. Now, in terms of future proofing, do not yeah. buy a version two HDMI. Right. Version 2.1 is what you want. Now, version 2.1 cable will work with older yep. HDMI ports, but a version 2 cable won't work with a PlayStation 5, for example, if you're trying yep. to connect it through to a version 2.1 TV. In five years from now, when you upgrade that yep. TV and the new TV yep. has 8K 2.1 HDMI and you've got yourself a PlayStation, if you buy today a version 2 HDMI, in five years, yeah. you'll be in the exact same position you are today. Yeah. So yeah. today's yeah. the day to spend good money on a version yeah. 2.1 HDMI cable. 
Right. And that's the one you run through the roof, mate. Okay. Okay. All right. So that's wow. going to give you the right. full Thank bandwidth. You. That's going to yeah. give you solid uh, longevity in terms of it'll get 8K and whatnot. Um, and I think a few mucking around trial and error will give you the solution to yep. whether or not you can actually just use that 10-meter cable for a while on, on HD quality and how much you need to yep. spend to upgrade. <laughs> oh, mate, that is awesome. Because I was, yeah, I, I was scared that if I went out and bought one, um, they say there's no difference. And then I'm thinking, well, why has why this one got a different number? Yeah. But when there is, there is actually a difference because it, there's so many people with their own opinions on the website. Yeah, totally. That say, oh, no, no, it's all rubbish. And it's because it's a very unique, like everyone's situation is different. You know, and yeah. I think that's the yeah. challenge. There's no real, there's no, there are some simple answers, but there's no real way of giving you a certainty in a in a web forum. All right, right. mate. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. Give it a, give it a crack. Let me know how you end up, buddy. Thank you, Trevor. Thank you very much. That's awesome. Cheers, buddy. No worries, mate. Cheers. Thanks for getting in touch, Ray. There with a question about HDMI cables. I mean, it's a fascinating thing, and it's a problem. You know, it's a cable, right? But they're not all. I mean, broadly, they're all going to work, but you're going to have differences in what they can cope with. So. Um, good luck to Ray. And if you are future-proofing, yeah, 2.1 is what you want to look for. It's the same with TVs. If you think right now that you're going to buy a PlayStation 5 one 8K, um, you need to buy, there's really only a couple of TVs. There's a Sony that, that has 2.1. But broadly, oh, I wouldn't be stressed. Like, you know, uh, my Hisense at home is 4K. I'd be quite happy with all, you know, version 2 cables. I'm just testing the Samsung 950, Q950 which is an 8K TV. I'm assuming that's got 2.1 as well. So, you know, there's some benefits there. Anyway, the fun and games of technology. Get in touch if you like. You know where to find me. EFTM. You're listening to the EFTM podcast. EFTM. Thanks for listening. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we, we spoke to the CEO of the NBN, Stephen Rue, on the day that they announced a pretty phenomenal change or, I guess, a second phase of the NBN, you might see it, as they looked at their corporate plan for the next few years, they looked at uh, their ability to raise finances. They looked at uh, adding a whole bunch of uh, speed to a large number of Aussies. And the minister responsible for the NBN is the Minister for Communication, Cyber Safety and the Arts. He's Paul Fletcher and he's the federal member for Bradfield, which is my neighbouring electorate uh, minister. Thanks for, thanks for joining me. Good to be uh, speaking with you, Trevor. So you're very close to me. Uh, I'm a I'm in Julian Lisa's seat, so I'm I'm very close. If if they change the boundaries, you might uh, you might gobble my area up. But uh, so so yes, well, it's all a wonderful uh, <laughs> sweep of the northern suburbs of Sydney, and Julian Lisa and I work together very closely. And of course, um, mine is an area, and much of Julian's as well, that has a lot of HFC, hybrid yep. fibre coax. So um, over the last year or so. The NBN has been rolling out pretty extensively in our area. Indeed, I got it on um, oh, a bit under a year ago. Yeah, right. Well, I've got uh, so I've got HFC at both my home and my office around the corner. Uh, frankly, never had a problem with it. Love it, and mm. I think you would probably know I'm I'm very much an advocate for what the NBN does. But obviously, there's a bunch of haves and have-nots with the NBN. That's the nature of the size of our nation. But this is a huge outcome for the 75 percent of homes that are going to get that 2023 um potential for a gigabit internet uh, is that about looking at how we're using the internet now and planning for the future yeah there are a number of reasons why we announced this 4.5 billion dollar upgrade and of course one of the commitments 
as part of that is that 75% of premises in the fixed line footprint will be able to order a speed of up to one gigabit per second. Now, why did we choose to do that at this time? For several reasons. Firstly, because the volume rollout is largely completed, not entirely, but we're now at 99% of premises able to connect to the NBN, and that's 11.8 million premises, and indeed about uh, 7.6 million premises are connected. That number's going up by almost uh, 30,000 or around 30,000 a week. So the first thing is volume rollout largely completed. Second thing, of course, the continuing increase in the amount of data that people are using. In other words, the customer behaviour. Mm. End of last year, mm. it was um, high 200s, about 298 gigabytes a month was the average monthly download. Um, it's jumped significantly just in the last few months, uh, in part because of people being at home, uh, working and studying from home due to COVID. And so that continuing customer behaviour has, I guess, given us the confidence to do this, as well as the fact that since earlier this year, we have had in the marketplace the home superfast service and home ultrafast. Home ultrafast is up to one gigabit per second. And uh, at the moment, about 18% of the footprint can get it. Mm. And of course, with the announcements we're making, we now take that to 75% of the footprint. But I guess the final reason is it was always the plan going back to 2013 when we came in said, what do we need to do to turn this NBN rollout around and get it on track? With the multi-technology mix, one of the plans, you know, a key element of the plan was when demand justifies it, yep. we will upgrade. And we've got to the point where demand justifies it. And that's why we've made the announcement. Now, as I said, massive fan of the announcement and broadly uh, happy with the way NBN's going about everything they do. But I have one concern from the announcement, which I guess hasn't played out greatly, I don't think, at this point, And I don't think it will until uh, a rollout map for this 75% is complete. In 2023, there'll be 25% of homes that don't have access to gigabit. What do we say to those people who are, they're on fibre to the node because it's it's 2.5 million fibre to the node homes that won't get this upgrade. 2 million will, 2.5 million won't. What do we say to those people about their homes and their internet and how, I guess, they missed out? Well, as you said in your introductory comments, Trevor, and you're quite right, necessarily with the NBN, there are a number of, I guess, dividing lines. So, there are people who are on fixed wireless or indeed satellite. And, um, you know, I regularly get instances of people writing to me saying, well, look, you know, I'm on fixed wireless across the other side of the street is fibre to the node. Um, And we've got a series of, I guess, engineering rules and business rules that determine how the network gets rolled out to give effect to the broad principles set by the previous government and by this government. So the the, the basic architecture of saying that we'll have around 92% on the fixed line, the balanced fixed wireless and satellite, of course, that was set by the previous government and we've broadly maintained that. I would say a couple of things to this point. The first is that we have designed this on the basis of people choosing to order a service and where they're in the 2 million who are in the footprint that's presently served by fibre to the node but Mm. will be able to order up to one gigabit service. What we'll be doing is we'll roll the fibre down the street, but we'll only build the fibre lead-in from the street to your home if you order the service. And Stephen Rue, as NBN Chief Executive, has said, 
you know, we expect 10 to 20 percent of people to order. That's the the figures that we've been working on. In other words, for the great majority of people, fibre to the node is more than adequate for their needs and will continue to be for many decades. Now, what about those uh, who may have a, a, a desire for higher speeds? There's a, there's a couple of, of things there. The first is that um, what we also announced was some funding for having a look at wiring in the home yeah. for people who remain in the fixed wireless footprint. Because, because we know uh, sorry, that, it, that's actually yeah. a, a large part of the problem. For people with fibre yeah. to the node, they yes. think that it's the, the copper in the street that's causing the problem, but actually a lot of the time uh, a, a savvy person might diagnose that it's actually their home wiring and you can get that fixed. But obviously most people kind of feel like it should just be done for them. So this is a way of the NBN coming to the rescue. Yes, that's right. And just to, just to correct something I said there that was incorrect, um, I referred erroneously to the fixed wireless footprint. It's the fibre of the node the footprint, node, yep. as you rightly said. So as you you you're, as you've said, the 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 issue with um, home wiring is that you know in the typical Aussie home, the internal wiring has been there ten, twenty, thirty, even fifty or more years, yeah. and when NBN comes in and connects up the the uh, fibre to the node to uh, or, or the NBN network to uh, what's called the network termination point. Mm. That's typically at the front of the house. You know, in the typical Aussie home configuration, the family room might be down the back of the house. That's where the big screen TV is. <laughs> um, you know, that's really where you want those good speeds. And what we find is that when you have a look at the home wiring, often you can get an uplift in the speeds that people are experiencing experiencing of between 5 and 20 megabits per second. So it's, it's a big deal. Yeah. And one of the announcements we made was that we've set aside some funding for NBN to come and effectively um, work with the homeowner to diagnose problems in the home wiring and to fix that up. And, of course, we're going to direct that to those areas that don't get the opportunity okay. uh, to to be um, choosing to, to be ordering the ultra so essentially ultra the, the two point five million homes that don't have the opportunity to to upgrade to fibre are prioritised through that spending of uh, of improving home wiring and then obviously yes. the NBN has their their ability to assess their next corporate plan and, and potentially uh, borrow more money and do more with those other homes. Now, just a couple more things on NBN because I know you're short on time, but um, COVID, um, mm. I want to know. Genuinely and frankly, as a, as a man sitting there as COVID struck and the lockdowns hit, my, my situation is completely different to yours because you've got the weight of the nation on your shoulders. But I do a lot of radio every week, uh, Minister Fletcher, and I was, I was on the phone and they were talking about whatever it was. And then they said, listen, with all these work from home and schooling from home, will the NBN cope? And this was at the very start. And I said, I, I genuinely think it will. And frankly... Mm. I'm very glad that it did for my own sake, but I genuinely think that this COVID period has been an outstanding example of the, the 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 power of the NBN that we have, and also without getting too political, the the fortunate fact that we rolled it out faster than probably fibre to the home would have been if it had been done the original way. Look, that's exactly right. The COVID pandemic, which led to millions of Australians working and studying from home transition into that almost overnight has been a huge test for the NBN and it's held up very well. It's not just the NBN, it's the entire telco industry. So it's all the retail service providers as well. 
And we moved quickly, NBN and the retail service providers, Telstra, Optus, Vocus and others, set up an industry working group. It was through that, for example, that we uh, rapidly uh, arrived at the NBN commitment of 40% extra capacity to the retail service providers at no extra cost. Um, that enabled them to have great confidence that they could support their customers with the extra capacity they might need. We also uh, asked the streaming services and they agreed to yep. reduce their, their bit rates. So that was important. But ultimately, it was a very big test. Now, 98% of the nation of premises in the nation were able to connect to NBN when this hit. We saw a spike in the rates of people connecting. And had we stuck with the original plan that we'd inherited, there would have been four to five million fewer premises yeah. able to connect to NBN at this point. And so we always said from 2013, what we wanted to do was drive the rollout as quickly as possible. And one of the reasons for going with fibre to the node is that it's a lot quicker to install. It does give a marked increase in speeds. And a very important factor as well has been that NBN, as compared to previous uh, broadband technologies, particularly DSL, gives you uh, high download speeds but also high upload speeds. So if you're video conferencing from home, yeah. you want that higher two-way speed. And the fact that that's been very widely available has been critical. You know, as we've all sort of rushed to get on Zoom and other video conferencing platforms yeah. – uh, that's been a really critical factor. I've been doing the Today Show from my, my NBN connected office for six months and I don't think it's missed a beat. Um, but moving on quickly before we run out of time, I have to talk about the Facebook, Google, ACCC fight. God love them all fighting it out publicly. Um, but for the average Joe, uh, and I understand that the big media companies have positions on this and I do not begrudge them those positions. But here's a very, and, and you may not have considered this so I'll, I'll take that uh, understood but for for a smaller publication frankly mine um who, who might meet the threshold of revenue to be classed as a media organization i don't want to be in this fight i don't want to be excluded from google i don't want to be excluded from facebook if they make those decisions so is, is there a bit too much big media kind of influence in this play from the ACCC and not consideration for the the smaller end of town where Google and Facebook's traffic is critical to business? The ABC, the, the ACCC is certainly thinking very carefully about the, the competition impacts of Facebook and Google across the entire landscape. Okay. Certainly the big traditional media businesses, the news media businesses, but also the whole ecosystem of uh, businesses of all sizes, but particularly smaller businesses that uh, are you know, digital natives yep. as businesses that rely very much on uh, distribution channels, including um, Facebook and Google. Now, what the Australian government wants to see, what um, the ACCC is charged with advancing under this mandatory code, is we uh, want to see that Facebook and Google are not uh, misusing market power uh, we, they're an unavoidable business partner, is how the ACCC has <laughs> described it, yeah. of, uh, of large media businesses, small media businesses, and that raises competition policy issues. What we want is a vigorous media ecosystem, and that absolutely includes digital-only media businesses that have 
established themselves in the last 5, 10, 20 years, um, as well as the more um, traditional news media businesses that are distributing content through a physical newspaper on the one hand and the same articles appearing online on the other. So, look, you raise an important point. It's definitely one that we're mindful of. What we don't want to see is uh, the digital platform using their very substantial market power uh, or misusing that power in a way that adversely impacts on competition and on uh, businesses of all kinds. And so while, yes, there's been naturally a lot of focus from the news outlets um, operated by Australia's news media businesses on the impact on them, uh, we're alive to the impact across the entire spectrum of, of businesses. And I think given Google and Facebook's loud shouting about this, um, it, it's obviously going to take some time to, to reach a conclusion. Is there a time frame on conclusion for this so that we can all put it to bed and move on as happy campers, I hope, as the media versus uh, social media? What we've said is that we hope to introduce legislation on this before the end of the year. Now, of course, after that, the legislation will need to be passed in the parliament. Um, the uh, In the broad, I think, uh, both Labor and the Greens have uh, indicated with, with some uh, conditions, but in the broad, they've indicated that they're supportive of what government is seeking to do here uh, but we do need to you know work work this through in in parliament but then of course um, assuming it passes into law after that point then there's the negotiation process contemplated under the code yeah. so that'll take some time but equally there are some reasonably strict time limits in the code uh, so if it passes into law um, in a form um, uh, you know, that maintains the broad architecture of what's in the draft that's been released, then there are some pretty clear timeframes. I should say the ACCC right now is weighing up all the submissions it's received in relation to the draft code, and it will shortly give its advice to government on uh, what it thinks, you know, the code should look like in a final form. The communications portfolio is a hornet's nest, and I wish you all the best with it. Um, you, you're at a good point, though, with the NBN, and uh, and we're in a good fight uh, for the Australian public with things like the uh, the ACCC. So uh, good luck to them, good luck to you, and I appreciate your time today. Thanks, Trevor. Great to chat. Taking your calls, talking technology. Travis is on the line. G'day, Travis. G'day, how are you going? Yeah, real good. What can I do for you? Uh, so just an inquiry about Wi-Fi extenders. I know you're a big advocate for the Netgear Orbi system, yep. and that's what I'm looking at at the moment. Just uh, funds are not there, so I'm looking at a temporary cost-neutral solution. Yeah, cost-neutral um, Wi-Fi solution. Yeah. God, I love it. Yeah, do those, I don't even know if those two phrases go together, but... um. No. Uh, so I've got a couple. I'm currently with Belong for my MBN. Yep. Uh, I'm thinking I'm on a 50 plan, and I'm getting about high 40s up and pretty good downs close to the router, about I think in the teens or thereabouts. Yep. Um, the lounge room in the backyard is the issue I have, and I've got a couple of old modems I had when I was with Optus for MBN as well that I've heard around the traps that you can set up as extenders rather than going out and buying one, and I know that typical do you have any wiring in the home um ethernet wiring uh i'm not entirely sure it was a i think what they call a greenfield site when i moved in so it was a brand new estate uh there was no copper or adsl sort of cabling from the street so 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 the, the point about the old modems for example right so 
here's what you need to Google because I'm not going to answer the question for you, but I'll give you some words that'll help you hopefully yeah. determine yes or no this cost neutral potential. Um, but what I Googled on your behalf was repurpose old Optus modem as access point. Now those are the critical words: an access point. You okay. can't you can't create an extender like a range extender from an old modem. That does, that's a different bit of technology, right? So that yep. takes one piece of Wi-Fi and creates a new one and different stuff like that. Um, but what you could do if you have Ethernet cabling. So if you had a, uh, you know, Ethernet cable, you know, running through the roof into the walls halfway down the house, you could potentially plug in an old modem and rejig it, software, firmware, who knows, tweaks in the settings. To so it operates as an access point. So what that means is it no longer looks for a unique. Um, uh, internet connection. It takes the internet connection from your existing one and creates that Wi-Fi uh, network in the home. Now, it may or may not be a separate Wi-Fi network. It may um, it may be a single network. It may be a new network. So you might have two networks running, but it, I mean, it might help. Um, yep. But broadly, that's about the only cost-neutral solution with stuff lying around, if you, if you think of it that way. Yeah, fair enough. And do you think it would work if I use that as an access point, if I had a power line adapter that plugged into, would that increase, do you think, the strength if there's no cabling in the house? Look, a power line adapter is only going to get the, the Ethernet cable to – so instead of having an Ethernet cable from one point of the house to the other, use a power line adapter to get the, the internet from one point of the house to the other. Um, that That's one way of getting the internet around. Now, all these solutions are not – amazingly efficient they're not going to be you know the highest speed but given you're only on a did you say 50 meg plan yeah you're probably not going to notice it right so the degradation we're talking about is on you know the thousand megabit speeds that are available on wi-fi and stuff like that so it's probably not a bad thing to muck around with but the other thing to do is is just look at you know ideas for um uh you know something cheaper than the orbi i mean you're right i I do love the Orbi system, but mate, the one I've got is 1400 bucks. Um, that's crazy. That's crazy money. Unless you are a 60 device home and you've got the money for it. Right. Um, but for most people, then you might look for a different solution. That solution might be, um, Eero from Amazon. Um, that's spelled double E R O. Um, it's, you know, right. I'm going to tell you right now today it's on special, um, Amazon prime day. Uh, it's 250 bucks. Okay. Um, now, is the Amazon Eero as good as Orbi? No. Um, will it solve your problem? Yes. Do you know what I mean? So it's this real. It's this challenge of, um, you know, 250 dollar investment is going to solve your problem big time, right? You're going to get proper Wi-Fi everywhere. But when you start pushing that network over the next few years to its limits with streaming, gaming, whatever it might be or large numbers of internet-connected devices like light bulbs and things, that's when you start to go, oh, this thing's going to slow under the load. But will you notice yeah. it between now and when you've actually got money to burn? Um, you know, maybe not. Maybe it's worth throwing away in two years, and, and, and that's when you can afford the Orbi. But that yeah, would be sure. the cheapest one I would recommend is $250 today and tomorrow. I believe Amazon uh, Prime Day lasts um, for, um, for 257 bucks if you can if you can slate up for that. Cost-neutral-wise, Mate, good luck. I, I just, I, I doubt you're going to get a solution that'll use those old modems. Um, if you do, if power line will work, and, and that's also dependent on your own having one circuit. So if you've got multiple circuits in the home, the power, the internet only travels over one circuit. So okay. you need to make sure you're actually, your power points are on the one circuit. 
Um, so yeah, there's a couple of things to there's a couple of things to tick off before you confirm any of those things are going to truly work, mate. Sure. Okay. Oh, that's great. It gives me a jump off point. Do a bit more research. No, that's, and, and that's uh, what I was hoping. I, 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 when I saw your note, I didn't think I'd be able to answer it for you, but I hoped I could give you a few things to go. You can go down a rabbit hole now, mate. Yeah, sure. And with the mesh networks, uh, I know with the sort of higher tier Orbi yep. systems, they run the Wi-Fi 6. Is that more for, as you were saying, houses that are running, you know, in the tens of devices consecutively? So Orbi Wi-Fi 6, you're talking 40 devices plus. Right. Okay. And future proofing. Yeah. So yeah. that that in, in three, four years from now, that's gonna be every new device is gonna be Wi Fi six. They will all get the benefit of that that stronger and faster and more reliable connection. But sure. you know, uh standard Wi Fi is still excellent. Um this is all just about that investment and that long term and that commitment. It's a bit different when, you know, you're living in the now and you're in lockdown and money isn't there. You know, it's not even worth worrying about that stuff. It's, yeah. I've, I look at it this way, mate. Spend what you can, even if you have to stretch a touch, um, to absolutely satisfy your need. And then, mate, when when the world's a different place and life's better and things are good, lash out. Good times. <laughs> yep. That no, sounds good. All right, Chad. All right, thanks for that, mate. Appreciate no it. Cheers. Anytime have a good all. day. Thanks, mate. Um, and if you've got a question like Travis, uh, wherever you are, get in touch. Just go to the website, eftm.com. Look, I don't normally buy things during these, you know, big online shopping sale days. But I bought something today <laughs> um, and uh, I couldn't resist. That's that's basically the situation. Um, look, I always need memory cards, right? So little micro SD cards, SD cards for all the cameras and stuff. And to be honest, geez, they go missing a lot. Um, plus, you know, my son and my wife use them. So I decided what I'd do is I'd create a buy a couple extra ones so I've got enough to leave at home and a bunch here at the office. Really good deals. Amazon Prime, my God. So right now, if you use any memory cards, this is a great deal. I've got a 64 gig SanDisk micro SD card for $22.47. That is so good. That's a great price. <sighs> but I bought something else. <sighs> Couldn't resist. Uh, it's also a SanDisk um, Extreme uh, U3. Uh, it's got all the got all the right codes, V30, whatever. It's one terabyte. It, um, look, it, I couldn't resist. I could not resist. I actually, sorry, I, I think the price I gave you on that um, 64 gig was wrong. No, that's the prime deal. Um, the one terabyte uh, says prime exclusive deal, $385, normally $493. A one terabyte micro, so on your fingernail. A, a, a device the size of your thumbnail, one terabyte of data. So that's crazy. Anyway, um, I just thought I'd share that with you. But while we're there, let's talk Amazon Prime deals. I mean, there's some pretty good ones out there um, if you're that kind of inclined to look around. And you may well find some cool stuff um, that might work well for you on, um, you know, Christmas gift buying. There's dollars off children's books 15 percent off there's a bunch of shoes and other clothing um there's watches from seiko i saw uh there's a lot of like home and kitchen um there's pantry stuff health and beauty there's really good time to buy amazon devices like echo shows echoes anything like that just sign up because they're epic 
really, really good deals now. I saw some great deals from Canon, and I saw some pretty good deals from Nikon as well. So not a bad time to look at the little things. So I look at this as a great time to just buy those accessories, whether it's a new controller for your gaming console. Christ, it might be new cables. But yeah, just consider now as a not a bad time to think about the little extras um, that you might need or want. Um, not a bad time to buy them given uh, it's Amazon Prime Day. And by the way, Amazon Prime Day lasts two days. Work that out. I certainly don't understand. Um, yeah, that's what's happening. I bought a one terabyte micro SD card. Um, I'm going to put that, when that arrives, I'm going to put in the camera and see how many hours of video I can record. Just because I wonder if it will even work in many devices. That could be a trigger here. That could be a problem. <laughs> anyway, let's get back to it. Thanks for listening. Taking your calls. Any tech questions you've got, uh, let's go back to the phones. G'day, Steve. G'day, mate. How you doing? Yeah, real good. What can I do for you? Um, so, uh, uh, our local rugby club had a big function on the weekend. Managed to do quite well out of it, and we're looking to invest in a big TV for the club rooms. Um, We have done it by way of um, an AV projector, but you just don't get the um, clarity. And in addition, um, sometimes when the games are on during the day, we don't have a dark background to to make it sort of clear. So we thought a a big TV would be to go as big as we possibly can without totally needing to take a mortgage. Yeah, well, you've nailed the uh, the important question there. I mean, uh, what number is going to freak you out? Is is fifteen grand going to freak you out, or is five grand going to freak you out? Five grand wouldn't freak me out. Fifteen might make us nervous. Right. So th- there's your t- there your two thresholds, right? So Samsung's um, eighty five inch top end TV, it's eight K and all that stuff is fifteen grand, right? Let's let's write that right. off. Let's not go there. Four five grand. There are, just at JB Hi-Fi, mate, there are nine televisions that are 85 or 86 inches. Now, the question is, do you think 85 inches is going to be enough? Because in a big room, I mean, mate, I've got an 85-inch at home, and it's amazing. But I'm not trying to fill a room with 60 people. Um, But Because your projector's probably at 100 and something now. You probably don't know, but it's probably quite big. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, an 85-inch TV. So if you were to go a 2020 model of the Hisense, their best, it's five grand. Four nine 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 five. Uh, Hisense, 85-inch, utterly brilliant. Love it. You won't, you won't complain. It's a beautiful TV. Um, I, just, I just worry that 85 in a big room might not be enough. That's all. That's a genuine concern. <laughs> right. But going any bigger than that, mate, you, um, you're, going, you're going to stretch that budget. So, um, if um, we were to um, uh, to go bigger, um, what sort of sizes do they come in, Trevor? It, um, because uh, you know everything you see at JB's and others is sort of destined for that retail market. Yeah, yeah I'd imagine 100 inches and 120 inches, or whatever it happens to be, are sort of non-retail in their in their aspect. So, I just wonder where would you get something like that, even if you were to, to have a look at it. Look, um, Harvey Norman have listed that they're getting the Hisense 100-inch TV, right, at $13,000. Right. So 
there are 95s and 98s. LG have like OLEDs, but again, because it's their biggest TV, it's going to be their best technology. It's going to be outrageously priced. So expected. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're basically looking at 85, 86 as being the size. Here's what you do, mate. And here's here's what I did with my wife to convince my wife to upgrade from a 65 to an 85. I got painter's tape and I stuck it on the wall to show exactly the screen size, right? Go to the website, get the dimensions, stick it on the wall. Yep. If you yep. if you right now go to the clubhouse, just get a bit of painter's tape on the projector screen, just real lightly, and just show how much different it's going to be to have an 85 versus what you've got now. But then remember that it's going to be 1,000 times better to look at because it's not going to be blown out by the, by the sun coming in or it's not going to be blown out because it's projected. It's just going to be, it's going to be crystal clear. Then you, then you can weigh that up with a few people in the club and go, yeah, let's, let's do it. Trevor, a quick side question, and that is, is in terms of the input going into the TV, yep. um, traditionally we've used, whether it be someone's Foxtel Go or KO or one of those type of products yep. because... Um, we're a rugby club. The moment that you tell Foxtel that you're a club, they yeah. want to charge you like you know a million dollars a month. To my, have it. my mum's pub um, is exactly the same, mate. My mum's got a pub and they they wanted three grand a month or something. I'm like, that's just stupid. Here's KO. Yeah, exactly. Um, but would would uh, um, I'm assuming that because they are a high end product, they would take by way of a, a sort of a smart TV input that you could run your, your, your KO feed off your phone direct yeah. into the television? Mate, if you, if you get the, the Hisense, it's now got the Foxtel app built in. Um, if you get a Samsung, you can have the KO app built in. So you don't even need to use someone's phone. But if you just want to put a, a little Chromecast in it, $50 dongle, $100 dongle, then anyone can cast to it from, from any phone. Yeah, the problem, of course, is Foxtel are cheeky. Without paying extra, you don't get to Chromecast it. But the fact that it's in the TV, then that makes up for that. Uh, yeah, you just use, you just got to log in. That's right. Yep, yep. And there's only, yep. when you log in, there's only, you, as the Foxtel owner, you can only have like four or five devices logged into the account at, at all. You have to kick other people out before you can log the other one in. So just those little things. But they're fundamental little things, mate. Just get a Google Chromecast, use KO, Bob's your uncle. That's great. Trevor, thanks very much for the info. Awesome. My pleasure, mate. Good luck with the spending, mate. I love spending other people's money. Me too. Cheers. See you, buddy. <laughs> if you got a question, um, like Steve, uh, jump on the blower. We'll, uh, we'll help you out. EFTN. You're listening to the EFTN podcast. EFTN. Thank you for listening. Trevor along with you. Now, I've been talking about virtual reality for years. Um, I've probably done it, I don't know, Five, six times on the Today Show. We've definitely covered it here a lot on the show. Um, I've done videos with uh, Facebook, Oculus Quest, um, HTC Vive. I've done meetings. So I've done meetings. I've done gaming. Um, but I, it's kind of a weird technology in that its its application, I don't think, is actually going to be as broad for consumers as it is in places you probably won't really see. Um, and I think it's the same for augmented reality, virtual reality. These are amazing technologies that I'm not sure are going to live in our lounge rooms as much as it might be portrayed. Broadly, those um, technologies are driven by that consumer demand and they create really nice solutions. But one of the fascinating places where VR can be used is in the workplace. And I'm not talking about just doing meetings, like I said with, I think I did a HTC Vive meeting, which was fascinating and, and generally was amazing. But there's a whole 
whole level of virtual reality that can help avoid workplace injuries, which is something I'd never given any thought to. So on the line from Brisbane, Next World Enterprise CEO Michael O'Reilly is here to tell me why, Michael, virtual reality plays a role in better results in terms of workplace injuries, in terms of preventing them. Uh, thanks, Trevor. That's, uh, it's always good to have a chat with a reasonable sceptic and uh, to explore these sorts of um, new technologies and where they might have some great application. I think that um, hearing you speak there draws my attention to something that was said about the Apple iPad only 10 years ago. When you think about uh, 10 years in the scheme of things with technology, it's, it's a pretty narrow window. And yeah. it was only 10 years ago, CNN used to say that the iPad wouldn't take off. And now I think iPads are in pretty much every home <laughs> in Australia. So um, do you see virtual reality being in every home um, in five or 10 years from now? I do. And I think, you know, even with the recent report, you'd be familiar with the Gartner report and uh, their investigations around strategic technology trends. And uh, VR has fallen off the chart now. So they actually believe that it's going to be a universally adopted technology. And I think that COVID has only helped that in many ways with um, the need to look at how we do things, particularly from a business perspective, differently. What's, and so it's only really. What, what stops it? Is it the cost of the technology or its limitations in terms of current applications? Yeah, look, there is certainly always, there is certainly definitely some uh, existing limitations, which has um, stymied take up. But that those sorts of limitations are, are, you know, being removed more and more by the day. And I think the cost of the technology is one of the things which has actually supported its take up. Mm. Like 20 years ago, VR technology has been around for that long, hasn't it? But, yeah. you know, the hardware. Well, I can remember software... watching Beyond 2000 and they were putting on a big headset <laughs> and standing on it. Like, you know, I can remember the big headset. That was, oh, yeah. you know, that was yeah. the thing. And today, We've gotten to a point where in the last, I think the last three years has been the um, the, the uh, huge leap in the technology itself because yeah. you don't need to be tethered to a computer anymore. Correct. Um, that's it. That's the mm-hmm. number one issue with VR mm-hmm. has been the tethering. Yes, I couldn't agree more. And I think even before that, when you go back, as you were alluding to, the cost was a real inhibitor too. But now headsets are a couple of hundred bucks. And they're as powerful as a mobile phone with great fidelity. They're not tethered anymore, so you can be really freestyle with them. And the software application side of things has also increased markedly too. So you now now can build VR learning experiences or VR experiences generally at the cost of building a sophisticated e-learning package and so forth. So, you know, VR engineers or VR software developers is actually the seventh fastest growing occupation in the world right now. So, you know, that gives you an indication of where this technology is going. VR engineers and designers are everywhere now, particularly in the U.S., and there is more and more demand for it here in Australia. It's one of the fastest proliferating sectors right now. And certainly we find a great niche for it in the learning space where they, you can sort of bring in and converge a number of different technologies and sciences, i.e. the VR side, but also learning science, you know, the cognitive neuroscience of learning and how people best learn. And the reality is that people best learn when they're engaged and immersed. And that's far cry from e-learning, which is known to be very, very terrible from that perspective, as well as face-to-face learning. You now have this opportunity, this paradigm, which is emerging through the convergence of hardware, software, cost, and uh, the neuroscience of learning to create this amazing, amazing tipping point when it comes to learning technology, particularly the way we're deploying it at the moment when with you, VR. When you talk about e-learning, um, yep. I'm just trying to think. I mean, obviously, working for myself, I don't do any e-learning. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> You're not missing much, mate. <laughs> no. I, I can remember, though, working, uh, and there's no point beating around the bush because everyone knows where I worked. It was at SBS, and you know, as a public service broadcaster, there was a bunch of you know government regulations and things. You do courses like... Um, 
you know, cultural uh, significance, cultural appropriateness. Uh, There's a bunch of things you'd, you'd see there. Anti-discrimination, anti-discrimination bullying. bullying. So yeah. you're, you're talking about those websites you go to where you read a passage, you watch a video, and then you, <laughs> you complete, a, com- complete a survey or a study or, a, you know, yep. multiple choice. Assessment. And you get to the end mm. and you get a certificate, right? I mean, um, yep. I, you know what? I did my RSA, the Responsible Service of Alcohol, a year ago. Yep. And it was an e-learning thing because a bunch of questions, but then there was this second package where you had to watch these videos and it was, you know what? It was interactive now that I think back at it. You had to you had to actually pick up the little glass and pour and do all actual little things so that you, you could show that you knew which glass mm. to use versus that. That's the kind of place where you're saying, put on a headset and actually mm-hmm. stand behind a bar. Yep. That's right, and have an actual interaction with a staff member, try to gauge whether or not they're intoxic- intoxicated or inebriated, um, look at those cues. You can actually uh, build software into the headset so you can actually feel like what it is to be inebriated or intoxicated. You can build in like a hypoxia and these types of conditions. So absolutely, you can put it as engaging or as immersive as you like, which is far more like real life in a safe manner too, which is really think, important. Do you think Samsung's push, massive push into VR mm. a few years ago, helped or hindered the, the, the cause? Because if you think about it now, VR yeah. has desperately and quickly moved away from being uh, a cardboard thing with a smartphone in it yeah. uh, to yeah. being a self-contained piece of computing uh, equipment not relying on you bringing something else to it. So I feel yeah. like I feel like some people were, I guess, put off by the experience of throwing a smartphone two, two centimetres from their, their eyes. Mm. Trevor, I think that, you know, as, as people experience VR more and more, and Samsung's a good example, right? People That was, for many people, as well as cardboard, uh, the first foray into VR for most people, yeah. and they had a bit of a taste, and it was okay. And it gave them an experience, and now they're with the technology evolving to a point where there's 4K in the VR headsets with Oculus Quest, uh, the two versions. You're getting far greater fidelity. So they're now, you know, they experienced VR then. Now they're experiencing VR now, and they're seeing the rapid change and growth in this technology and the fidelity, the usability, the affordability of it. Uh, so I think the Samsung technology did help with uh, with yeah. what they did back then, as well as what Oculus is doing now. You know, Oculus is an amazing company to think about it because they were doing stuff so long ago and it's one mm. of those great things, isn't it? You think about the people that were doing that. Not only did they make good money by selling to Facebook, but just generally vision-wise, they knew what they were working towards. And I think a lot of the time, and it's probably like with smartphones, as you mentioned, you know, no mm. one, Steve Jobs couldn't have imagined that the, the iPad we have today being so small, so thin, could have come from what they had at that time and the power in it and stuff like that. Technology oh, that's right. advances. That's what happens year on year. Well, Trevor, do you know who who owns Oculus? Facebook. Correct. And I think that's an indicator in itself of where VR is going and how powerful VR is because they bought Oculus many years ago to enable and assist with their social platforms, social interactions, bring, uh, uh, interactions bringing people together, and doing gaming together, but also social interacting together, etc. So they, so uh, Facebook could see back then when they bought it. Now they've evolved it substantially to the point where Oculus is a powerful player in the VR market. And I think that you know that proves to me that uh, Facebook sees it as important. Uh, Google sees it as important. All these massive global players are seeing VR as critical. They're investing billions into this technology right now, and it's only enabling in the learning space. So let's talk about e-learning and and work-related injuries. I mean, you talk about you know hundreds of thousands of work-related injuries and illnesses every year. Um, 
you you suggest that because VR learning is more immersive and perhaps more engaging, you think it's a better way of doing learning to prevent things like workplace injuries? Well, I think, Trevor, the key thing here is to be data-driven, right? I think data is really important when you're looking at what causes workplace injuries? Why do you send people away for training right now? Mm. Now, the reality is that 60% of workplace fatalities have an important causal factor of lack of training or lack of engagement in learning or lack of competency. So that's 60%. That's a very significant number. Yeah. Now, Australian businesses also spend tens of billions of dollars. This is globally too. Global businesses spend money on this too, on learning in form of workplace health and safety learning, you know, manual handling, et cetera, this type of learning because they want their people to understand critical theoretical and practical components so that they are safer as a consequence. Mm. Now, if you factor those two things together, together with the fact that VR learning is far more engaging, eight times better learning engagement. That's eight it, isn't times, it? This is, this is it the is. critical thing as opposed to it is. You know, having 15 mm. employees who work on a mine site and need to understand the ins and outs of the risks, let alone the processes, sending Spot them on, to a watching watching a video and following, filling out a questionnaire yeah. is ticking a box. What's the purpose of learning, Trevor? That's what I always come back to. If the purpose of learning is to acquire knowledge, and then from that knowledge you can apply it in a safer way, then that is the outcome you're after. Now, e-learning does not deliver that. VR learning does to the tune of eight times better. Wow. That has a that has a massive impact on safety performance, but not only that, Trevor. It also has a massive import, uh, improvement on productivity, productivity, efficiency, reduction in error rates, overall employee engagement, which is massive ar- amongst our youth generation. These are things which is now scientifically proven with VR technology in a workplace setting. This what, is a newfound value. What sort of workplaces are most suited to VR e-learning in the initial stages? Obviously, it's going to take a long time for every single course to be this way, but where, yeah. where do you see the, the initial you know, growth spike? Well, the easy wins are absolutely in the blue-collar space, absolutely in the high-risk industries you know, uh, where there are a large volume of workers. They're the easy wins for this technology. But like you're suggesting, you know, with your analogy around doing e-learning courses around bullying and sexual harassment and so forth. There's actually emerging VR product lines in those spaces too. So if you're a medium to high risk business, medium to large size business, and you have a massive training matrix with all these needs, historically you would have done that in e-learning or a blended approach. Now you can do most of them in VR because there's libraries of this content like ours available to be able to use across your, your entire training matrix. So massive improvements and efficiencies in productivity. Uh, and that's so important for Australian com- competition against China and these other low labour cost uh, economies. We have to find new technologies which enable us to be more productive uh, against those economies, which have these natural benefits or um, little edges that we need to be able to overcome. VR is really proving an opportunity point there. And, and just finally, in terms of getting it happening, is it... Uh, is it difficult to convince businesses to create e- e-learning uh, platforms because of the initial cost, whereas actually what it needs to be seen as is, I'm assuming, a, you know, look at it as a multi-year investment and over a couple of years, it's not just paid off in terms of the solid yeah. investment, but that learning and, and engagement rate. Yeah. Now, look, I mean, like with all new technologies, there's, you know, you've got to get past the chasm, right? You've got to get people involved in the new technology to pilot and trial it and get used to it and see the ROI that is actually there. So yes, it, it, with, any, it's, with this sort of technology, it is a change process. So 
there are some which are naturally more innovative as businesses and they're more likely to go down this pathway. But most of the businesses we target, they're medium to large, they've already got budgets in safety training, they've already got mm-hmm. budgets in induction and, and in training generally. And so they're already spending money in this way. Now they're looking for more efficient ways to do it, to get better ROI, to be more productive. So they're, they've got the appetite already for it. And particularly with COVID pushing this along, they've now got this added impetus, this need where Previously, they used to send people away to training. Well, guess what? They can't do that so much anymore or are certainly stopped from doing it for a period of time. So now they're going, right, let's look at this budget. A, we're not getting the ROI we wanted anyway, historically, because we weren't getting great learning outcomes. Oh, let's put this budget in a different area. VR is looking like the option of choice. Yeah. Fascinating stuff, and it, it is a, an unbelievable growth area. I'm not 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 a fan of VR. I just don't see your shared vision for the consumer world. I see your vision for the corporate world clear mm. as day. So yeah. we'll have to we'll have to you know follow our our, our learnings and decide in ten years who was right, mate. <laughs> but <laughs> well, I, think, I think I think you'll be you'll be sitting on a beach in the Bahamas at that point because you'll be doing very well because you've been in the right space, the growth space where the where the true revenue and and, and usage of this technology is, mate. I'll be doing it virtually, Trevor. <laughs> you, you can be on a beach in the Bahamas now because you've got the headset. I can do it right now, mate. I stick on the headset. Michael. In fact, they're doing it in aged care communities. I don't know if of you've heard course. about this, Trevor. Yeah, I think it's wonderful. Great altruistic purpose, you know, using an aged care communities to get put people in virtual holidays. And they're seeing great moral uh, morale improvements amongst the communities, uh, which is fabulous, you know, especially given they've been a real sufferer in the lockdown phase. So it's been great to see that. Excellent. Michael O'Reilly, uh, CEO of Next World Enterprise. I appreciate your time, mate. Stay safe. You too. Thanks very much, Trevor. All the best. EFTM. This is the EFTM Podcast. EFTM Podcast. And thanks for listening. Trevor Long with you here to help you with your tech questions, car questions, whatever it might be. If you've got a question, go to the website, eftm.com. You can do that easily. Pam did. G'day, Pam. Hi, Trevor. What can I do for you? What's happened? Uh, Well, it goes back to last year. I had a problem with my laptop whereby files weren't syncing to OneDrive. Right. Um, Then I tried to get it attended to by a tech guy. It got worse. I lost files. I decided to buy a new laptop at the end of the year and assumed it was syncing to OneDrive. No problem. It gave me that message, syncing all up to date. Until I did a course in uh, 365 OneDrive last week um, for my work. And I began to understand, and I checked out my OneDrive, and it's not syncing at all. There's no files. So on the OneDrive, there's no files. But where uh, can you see the documents you've worked on over the last few months? Yes, they're in my. They're on your they're computer. They're all filed on my computer. Okay, beautiful. Yeah. Um, and so OneDrive, you've obviously got a Microsoft account, and you've obviously signed into OneDrive. That's all good, right? That's all good. Now, but I'm do, you, do, you, do you have do you use Windows Explorer or File Explorer um, in your in your day to day usage of the computer? Like you know where you can see desktop documents and all the folders. Sure. So on the best thing I can suggest is actually just first and foremost, let's do a manual copy. Let's move all your files. Okay. Now yeah. in in my File Explorer under desktop, I can see. 
that I've got my Dropbox, I've got my my username. It says this PC, but there's also one there that says OneDrive, and so I can I can click and open that OneDrive folder and explore it just like I can any other folder on my computer, and I can yep. just drag and drop. So if mine had not been syncing, I can just go right here's here's a, a spreadsheet. I'm just going to drag that across now and drop it into OneDrive. And boom, it's there. And it will do its own thing in the background to do the syncing. Now, if you're wondering whether or not that file, and so you can test this, Pam, just by doing one file, just one document, just drag it over onto your OneDrive yeah. using File Explorer, and then log in to OneDrive either on another computer or just or just on the internet in a browser, okay? Yeah. And because mm-hmm. what you're doing, if you're, if you're looking at OneDrive through a browser, then... There's no risk that you can be confused by your local files. Um, you're actually kind of, you've got a vision into the cloud, really. And it's a really nice way of checking. So I'm just doing the same thing. I'm looking at my OneDrive and I can see the file that I dropped. So I know that the synchronization is working. And so what you can do then is just drop all your documents over and then you're happy. They're backed up. You're good. And then the only thing left to do is is change the save location for your Microsoft Word, so or an Excel, whatever you, you you choose to use, when you go save as, you want to make sure that it's choosing OneDrive, not this PC, because for example, I don't use OneDrive, Pam. I, I I don't need it. It's not a thing I worry about. So I always, when I get a new computer, I choose no no, just use this PC. So it's possible that your computer is saving all these files only onto your PC and not into your OneDrive account. So that's the main thing to do is firstly use File Explorer to move manually all your files over and do a sync. And then in your Word and Excel, just go into the Save As tab and check what's chosen and make sure you check OneDrive and then you can choose the folder from there. Okay. I've just gone into File Explorer. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I've now got OneDrive Personal, OneDrive Business. Perfect. So I go into OneDrive Personal, and yes, I'm seeing files. Now, the way I was doing it the other day was through the web, right. through the office.com and bringing it up, and yep. yeah, there's nothing there. And but so, so now then, then, the, like, then what you need to do is make sure that your OneDrive on your computer is yep. actually, it's, it's verified, it's got the right login. Um, yep. Because if, if you click on those files there in File Explorer, can you see yep. the, the files that you were seeing the other day on the web? No, I wasn't seeing files on the web the other day. And you are seeing um, them in your File Explorer now? Yes, uh, at least for this laptop, um, yeah, because they're in folders. And I go into the folder, and yeah, there are the files. Yeah. Great, great. So, so, yeah. so now what you want to do is is confirm that OneDrive is syncing, because obviously it's all well and good to see it on your computer, <laughs> yep. but that's no good to you if OneDrive isn't syncing up. And so there's a there's an icon somewhere in the down in the status bar. Um, yep. If you open up the OneDrive client, which looks like a couple of little clouds um, yeah. in, in the taskbar, it'll tell you whether or not it's syncing. And there's a few good instructions online about if it's not, what to do. But I think mm-hmm. that's the only problem you need to solve is making sure that it is actually doing that sync. Okay? 
Okay, yeah. So if I click the little OneDrive icon on my computer, um, it says OneDrive is up to date and and you want to make sure that it says that and then you can go into the settings and, and change anything else if it's not. Okay, so down next to the next to the clock, you want to click on the little arrow and find the cloud and it'll say yep. OneDrive and click on that and go into the help and settings and make sure that it's all logged in. Like it might have paused syncing, for example, something like that. And I think yeah. between all those things, Pam, you should be able to get that running and, and hopefully you'll have all those files synchronised. Okay. Well, right. yeah, now uh, now I'm doing that. Before it used to just say OneDrive is up to date and yeah. I couldn't find anything, but now there's a long list of files underneath that message. Good. All right, well, well, click sync. Make sure it's set to sync yeah. automatically and just check it every yeah. day to make sure it's following your instructions, Pam. You're in charge. You're the boss. Okay. All right, Pam, um, good luck. It sounds, it's, I'm glad you're using the cloud. It's just a, a bummer that it wasn't working perfectly for you. The other question was, what kind of person do I need to recover the files that were lost from the old computer? Have you still got the old computer? Yes, I've still got it. And how um, were they lost? What do you mean by lost? Were they deleted? Well, the, the tech guy came to, to solve this problem and it seemed to stem from one particular file and we got whatever we did, we got this error message, um, the name of the file not accepted, it mm. said Canon X, it was a photo. Um, so it said change the file name, we did. It said delete the file, we did. But from then... Now, was this a local tech guy or was it a big company? This was Geeks to You. It was Geeks to You. That's who I was going to recommend. That's a bummer, isn't it? <laughs> um, so, he, so he set me up with, I already had two um, sign-ins on the, the laptop right. for some reason and he tried to get rid of one of them, but he couldn't get rid of them. So I have two original ones and he created a new one in my name, Pam Webster, instead of Pamela Webster, yeah. the others. Well, I so think... Slight, slight change and no password. And he said the files would automatically yeah. find their way right. over so time to the new sign. They're gone they now, right? Ahead. Pam, they're gone <laughs> now. Um, it's simply a matter of value. How, how important are those files? Because it's going to cost you a lot of money. Like I'm talking hundreds of dollars, if not more, because someone's going to need to basically forensically go through that computer and run some underleets. Uh, it's a time-consuming process. I can't recommend anyone specifically, but what you're looking for is a data recovery company. If you want to Google data some recovery. stuff, data yeah. recovery is what you're after. Now, as yeah. I said, you need to put a value on those files. Is it yeah. is it worth yeah. spending, let's say $500, is it worth spending $1,000? Work out what your value is so that when you get a quote, yeah. you can say, you know what, it's too much. I'm going to walk away. The files yeah. are gone. Life goes on. Yeah. Or okay. I, I need them and I'm going to pay whatever it costs. But don't tell yeah. them that. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right, Pam. Good luck finding a data recovery company and um, hopefully the OneDrive sync continues from now uh, going forward. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Um, never a fun experience. And thanks to Pam for getting in touch. But uh, not a fun experience when the cloud goes wrong. Um, I'm, I'm more impressed by cl Pam's just acceptance and usage of the cloud, which is fantastic to hear. And it's annoying that you hear those uh, disappointing situations and also annoying that someone deleted their files without that simple step of, and that's, that's my, always my tip is don't, don't do, you know, a bulk process until you've just done a simple test. You know, um, uh, I'll give you an example. I recorded a Microsoft flight sim, um, a demo yesterday 
And it's a, not a common thing to do. So I've got to set up a screen recorder. I've got to get the microphone working. So I didn't do the whole thing and then check it worked. I did six seconds of video with the sound from the game, the picture from the game, and my voice, and checked whether it worked. And it didn't. And it didn't the second time. Changed a couple of settings. It worked. Then I did it again, and it worked. Six seconds. And then I went, right, it's good. I've got it working. Now I'm going to do it. So copy that one file over to the cloud. Check that that one file is visible on the cloud on another device or via the web. And then do the bulk process. Not rocket science. Uh, good luck with that, Pam. And uh, if you've got a question, get in touch, EFTM.com. Thank you for listening. Lovely to have your company. I hope you enjoyed those conversations about virtual reality and, um, of course, that conversation with uh, our Federal Minister for Communications, Paul Fletcher. Uh, seems like a lovely bloke and across his portfolio and the challenges, my God, the challenges that, that, that exist. Um, <laughs> what I mean, what a portfolio, right? I mean, it's just cray-cray how, um, how epic that, uh, you know, think about the media monitoring for that portfolio, getting up in the morning and reading what the ABC versus the Herald versus the Telegraph versus idiots like me have to say. So, you know, um, yeah, all a bit strange for the poor bloke. But anyway, good luck to him. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, always love your feedback and most importantly, can't do the show without getting your questions. So shoot me an email, go to the website, eftm.com. We'll be back again next week. Um, loads of Apple news with the Apple event tomorrow. You know what I think is coming. It's on the website and we'll have a full episode of Two Blokes Talking Tech tomorrow. After the show, uh, you should expect the show to drop uh, late evening on Wednesday night.